We are the Society for Healthcare Innovation. Today we have Ruth Kristopolsky, the VP of Population Health at Atrium. Ruth, could you give us a bit of background about uh, yourself and about, uh, and speak a little bit about how Atrium is addressing this pandemic from a population health perspective? I was really starting in the space of quality um, and had participated um, through two CMS, um, HEN, so Hospital Engagement Network, and then Hospital Improvement Network work. Um, and then that really transitioned into a platform for thinking about how do we uh, provide value to the, the communities and the populations that we serve. So really thinking about um, cost and quality um, um, across our, our broad geography. So I've been with Atrium Health for about four years and really was the first person to lead the population health uh, program and am the first person um, to lead the population health program, really looking at um, people, process, and technology to support uh, better outcomes um, for our patients and for our communities. And I can tell you, um, this is year number 30 for me in healthcare, and um, the, the COVID pandemic um, has, I think, um, been, been quite an experience periods for me as it has for a lot of folks um, in healthcare. I think it's presented a whole host of challenges, but also an opportunity to move some of the work that we've been um, iterating on um, significantly faster. And so Atrium, as an example, was you know, historically strong in delivering services using uh, virtual technology. I think the regulatory environment, the payment environment, um, and quite frankly, the consumer acceptance environment all hindered our ability to go broad and deep um, in the virtual space. And so um, we had really strong virtual um, EICU programs. We use a lot of virtual in the behavioral health space, um, both um, integrated in primary care and then everything from telepsych to you know managing um, individuals and inpatient uh, uh, settings. And so um, the COVID um, really kind of lit um, virtual on fire and, and we did our entire volume for 2020 um, um, in virtual from uh, in the month of March, right? And so uh, thousands and thousands of visits virtually and we converted um, uh, uh, you know, almost in three weeks, the majority of our uh, ambulatory patient volume and some of our specialty care from in-person care to virtual care, literally in 21 days. Um, and, you know, if we would have not been in the pandemic, that my guess would be that we would, we would be for years from now still kind of iterating across either specialty services or, or, or service lines or particular patient segments. So I do think um, COVID's lit a fire um, on use of technology and, and forcing us to innovate, um, uh, and that's that's been a tremendous opportunity. We've also looked at how do we um, extend capacity. Um, Atrium has capacity challenges without COVID and with COVID have really bumped up against um, you know, our ability to care for people in inpatient settings. And so teams of folks have put together workflows processes using technology to support really caring for COVID positive patients um, uh, virtually, both using technology to engage those people that have 
been exposed and are positive, but need just a little handholding. And um, even some low level, lower level medical patients and actually managing them in the home. And so we've been able to manage several thousand people using technology. And I think this morning we have almost 30 people that would have been inpatients in our facilities that we're managing in their homes. And that has, you know, benefits from the patient perspective. When they're in our facilities and they're COVID positive, they can't have visitors, right? I mean, they're they're pretty much isolated from their families. Um, now their families need to be careful when they're interacting with them in their homes, but at least they're in their home setting comfortable and we're reaching into where they're at, um, which is better for them. And then quite frankly, we're limiting exposure to our staff by managing them at home and, and using technology. So lots of really cool innovative work occurring. Um, and we've been able to use the data that we've collected over the last four years and the platform technology that we've put in place to identify people that are at high risk for COVID, high risk for complication, and then use that to drive a lot of our reach out. So um, really kind of kick-started um, a lot of our, a lot of our uh, innovation and in, um, in how we're engaging patients. I really, I wanted to touch on one of the last things you said, right? I mean, we know from New York that 88% of admissions were folks with uh, one or more chronic diseases and 95% had two or more. And you mentioned that kind of proactive approach to the chronic populations. How are you viewing that and addressing the uh, increased risk factor for these folks, as well as the fact that they're probably less likely to come in because of their um, vulnerability? Yeah, so we did um, do um, some proactive panel management, um, and and early on, I'm guessing we were probably two or three weeks in, so middle of April, really started to look at the number of people who had canceled appointments and who were canceling appointments, in-person appointments. And what we did was we went into our data sets and pulled those individuals that met the chronic disease profile of individuals who would be complicated by COVID or by not receiving continuing care. And then we provided that information at each of our clinics. And we have a broad primary care base that's integrated into Atrium and then helped with back office support for reach outs from the physicians to the patients directly to engage them in either a virtual visit um, using two-way technology. But in many cases, we did a lot of what we called virtual check-ins, which were audio-only visits. Um, again, um, the, the concept of, of video and virtual um, seems really cool to a lot of people, but we have large portions of our population that don't have either access to internet, the bandwidth, or quite frankly, the data packages in order to engage with a, a video part of the component. So really um, doing what we could to get to individuals, um, make sure they had um, testing and some of basic needs met. And so um, as we were finding COVID positive patients and sending them home, if they needed paper supplies or food, we were hooking them up with um, community service. So really a proactive um, reach out on our most, um, our most vulnerable patients. Great. And, and so in light of that, do you feel uh, that you guys uh, have have done a good job of mitigating this potential, quote unquote, second wave coming from chronic patients or because so many of them are not technologically hooked up? Do you still worry about that that fallout? 
You know, I, I think there's still a tremendous amount of fear. Um, there are some tech technology um, issues that we have. You can't get a hemoglobin A1C without a lab test, right? Um, um, and, and so you have to get somebody somewhere to get that done, or we need to get the test to uh, individuals. And so we still have some challenges um, on getting the information that we need for the patients. But I think we're being really creative in um, setting up additional drive-through test sites um, across our community to collect things, um, um, you know, even mailing things to people's homes um, and asking them to give a urine sample or do their, you know, cola guard and send it back. So I think we're trying to use some reach outs to not drop the ball, but there is, I mean, in our data suggests there are suppressed volumes in places that, you know, you would go, that doesn't really make sense. So the number of people that are presenting with chest pain, as an example, um, has gone down significantly. Now, um, I, I, I probably have more anxiety than I had before. So um, I might have more chest pain, but I, it, it doesn't seem to match um, what's going on. So I think we're going to continue to learn and reach out and you know, I, I don't think of waves anymore. I think we're going to be in a protracted period of time for the next 18 to 24 months where we're going to have to think creatively to meet the needs of our patients. And um, it feels like it's there's not waves. It just feels like we're on the beach and it's crashing against us. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 but I think we're going to learn, right. We're going to, and we don't even understand what the long-term impact of COVID is on patients. Right. So there's that whole, what's the, what's the third wave of the, you know, um, unintended consequences of, you know, the pulmonary um, issues some of these patients might have and, and other clinical sequelae as a result of, you know, being really sick. So, um, We've got, I think, years of learning in front of us. That's a, a great and troubling point. Yeah. The other thing that this pandemic has uh, cast light on is obviously the, the socioeconomic disparities in this country that affect access to care, quality of care. When we spoke last time, you had mentioned some interesting measures that you guys have taken even before this pandemic to reach out to those populations. And I was hoping you might be able to speak a little bit to that. Sure. I mean, we've had a tremendous um, focus around um, um, what I would call our, you know, comorbid conditions of poverty um, across our broader footprint and then um, addressing um, some of those. Now, you know, in some cases, we're the provider, in some cases, we're the convener, in some places, we're providing advocacy to really start to think about how do you address um, issues that impact health that are outside of, quite frankly, the purview of the healthcare system. And so we have used technology to build and connect access to social support organizations across our footprint um, and um, use that with our patients directly and then with our care management and physician leadership to connect people um, to social services. And we, we started that program four years ago and, and we do thousands of referrals of, of patients. And I think it, um, it allows us to partner with organizations that are set up to do things like deliver food or find housing. Um, we've also um, uh, spent uh, quite a bit of energy around taking services into the communities where they're needed. And so using some data on um, testing as an example, 
um, we were able to identify that some of our communities of color um, and of um, lower economic status actually had testing rates per thousand far less than those that um, were in you know, predominantly white and, and, and higher socioeconomic class patients. And, and, you know, part of it was, you know, we put up drive-through testing tents, which make really good sense unless you don't have a car to drive through, right? Um, so, you know, we, we're all learning. So what we did was we repurposed two of our wellness on wheel vehicles. So we do a lot of work um, from, a, from a wellness and prevention standpoint um, in the community set them up as testing um, locations and then using um, hot spotting and heat mapping of incidence rates, taking the testing into the communities. Um, and we are, we're testing hundreds of patients a day um, across some of our most challenged um, um, zip codes and areas, ensuring that people have access to tests so that they can um, protect themselves and, and their family members. So really, the data, though, and then the, the, the work that we've done to connect, connect with those communities, whether it's churches or our Latinx um, Chamber of Commerce, um, that really helped us support, you know, how do we get care to the people who need it the most that have been, you know, in our, in our communities impacted far greater than the general population. So, yeah, it's um, we have a lot of work to do. I think we as a country have a lot of work to do, but um, I think it's this kind of innovative thought process that's going to let us think differently about how we how we solve some of those um, those health inequities and, and, and the causes of them. Right. You are at the crossroads of population health and disease prevention and management, given your role. And I'm curious, given what you've seen, if you have a sense of how you think our country, uh, our country's healthcare system may shift to address this clear and apparent need for a different way of thinking about population health, especially among underserved populations. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and again, I, I have my own personal opinions. There's our, you know, organizational opinions. I'll, I'll speak personally again, having, you know, several decades into this, you know, I, I do believe that um, access to healthcare um, should be um, extended to everyone who lives in our country and a, and a thoughtful plan. And I'm not suggesting that it has to be, and I don't believe that it should be a, a public, a public takeover of the health insurance system, but you know, a, a, a thoughtful design of a program that ensures that everybody has access to coverage, I think should be, um, should be on the should be on the on the on the pathway to beginning to address health inequities, right? And so, uh, you know, I I do believe that that should be a minimum um, um, for everyone. I think we're we woefully funded public health, and um, you know, I've not worked in public health in our population health. It's really about how does the healthcare system address the needs of the population they serve and doing it in a high quality, low cost way. But I think our lack of investment and in a solid public health system um, is rare in its head through all of this. I think there's a patchwork of, of uh, uh, mismatches between city, county, state and federal government and, and, and maybe a, a roadmap on, you know, what some basic public health um, um, functions um, could and should be and the ability to um, um, fund those appropriately. 
um, or fund the health systems to do it, right? If we don't want to build an, 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 you know, an additional public health structure, figure out how to get the funding to the large health systems across the country to help, you know, fulfill that role. Because right now we're doing it and, you know, as a requirement, but, but not really, you know, having quite frankly, the reimbursement for it. So I, I think that's important. And then the final thing, you know, I think we need to attack poverty as a nation, right? And, um, you know, a lot of the um, issues that we have with regards to poor health outcomes and um, impacts on individuals' health derive directly from poverty. So whether it's lack of housing, lack of access to food, lack of access to health care, really result from poverty. And so what are some of those things that we as a country should begin to prioritize, whether it's raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, providing some kind of support systems? Um, I just think we need to think holistically um, and, 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 and put a plan in place and not make it political, right? Because this is about human beings. It's not about political parties. So let's write for humans. Um, that's a, it sounds really easy. I know how hard it is, but I, I do believe that we have the capacity to do it. The final thing that I've learned through all of this, which could also help in addressing some of the poverty is I think we need to onshore a lot of our supply chain. I think it's a huge, um, I think it's a huge health risk. I think it's a huge, huge country risk. Um, I, and, and, and we all play into buying stuff from the cheapest outlet, whether it's tennis shoes or, you know, surgical masks, right? I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all pushed to get the lowest unit cost. I think for, you know, drugs, medical supplies, medical equipment, um, some of these things are vital to caring for our country. We really need to start to have a thoughtful onshoring process so that when this happens again, because it will, um, there are a lot of bodies on the on the globe and we're going to have other issues. We'll have the ability to address it without having you know, instability across the globe um, impact the people who live in our country. So that's what I think about um, when I think about how we might do things differently for the future. Well, Ruth, thank you for sharing your thoughts and thank you for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy. Uh, again, we are the Society for Healthcare Innovation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.